0: All right, well, today I have the opportunity and the privilege uh, to do our scripture reading for this morning. So, if you'd like to, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verses 12 through 40. I'm going to be reading through the NRSV if you'd like to follow along. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where, there were supposed, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to a woman, the women who had gathered there. Now a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer of purple cloth. And the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. And one day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she cried aloud, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept on doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it did come out of her that very hour. But when her owner saw that that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, these Jews, are disrupting our city and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans, to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in the attack on them. The magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them in prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stalks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he had his entire household. Rejo- he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, "Let those men go." And the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, "The magistrates sent the word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace." But Paul replied, "They have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Romans." And have thrown us into prison. And now they are going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. The, rep- the police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. So they came and they apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there... They departed this is the word of the lord
1: thanks be to god well good morning red hills good morning good morning if we have not met before my name is kate swanson i have the joy of serving as executive pastor here and if you have ever wondered what an executive pastor does don't worry you're not the only one (laughs) i wondered that often before i even became a member of the staff at this church. I didn't fully understand the title and it's pretty confusing right because in the business world the person at the top is the CEO chief executive officer. and in church structures um, our CEO is Jesus <laughs> right He's the head of the church. But the main person on earth appointed to be in charge normally carries the title of lead or senior pastor, which for Red Hills is Pastor Lane, who is speaking at Eugene Faith Center this morning, a four square church, a part of our Northwest District. And Pastor Lane is the one who sets the mission and vision of our church. He oversees teaching and preaching, and the spiritual formation and the well being of each individual and our congregation. And my role as executive pastor is to oversee our operations, our finances, and our HR. I collaborate regularly with Pastor Lane and I communicate with our church council often on our finances and they give us insight on major church decisions. And I get the joy, let me say it again, I get the joy of occasionally sharing messages, (laughs) which I didn't think I'd like this part of my job. I actually, I haven't shared a message since March and I've missed it, right? That sounds wild because most people flee from public speaking, <laughs> especially when they give you a 35 minute timer and ask you to preach the Bible, right? <laughs> uh, but I've enjoyed preparing this message and I'm excited to jump in with you. So we are in a series called Our Origin Story, journeying through the book of Acts. We started the series at the end of May with the first two Sundays, Focused on Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. And I want to point back to the beginning of Acts and Jesus' final words before he left this earth. It says, He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which is foreshadowing Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem foreshadowing Peter giving his inaugural address to the church and in all Judea when we see the paralyzed man healed and Tabitha raised from the dead and Samaria when Peter goes to Cornelius in Caesarea and to the ends of the earth and we are now reading acts in the to the ends of the earth section Paul and his co-workers are moving about the Roman Empire preaching the good news of Jesus and as they travel from town to town, there's this clash of cultures going back and forth between the ethnically devout religious Jews and the good news of the gospel that invites everyone into the family of God by trusting and obeying Jesus. We are seeing this massive shift happen, um, as described by Paul's letters, um, writings in Galatians, where he says, where Jew or Gentile, slave or free," slave or free, male or female, all are one in Jesus Christ. The kingdom, is not, the kingdom of God is not for a select few, but open and ready for all people to find belonging in Jesus' family. But the problem is going to the ends of the earth is really hard. <laughs> Reaching everybody everywhere is really hard. Jesus' final words on earth before he ascends are spoken to each one of us to reach out and invite all people to the hope we have in Jesus, no matter their background, race, status, or region. So in today's passage, we can focus on this. We are called to the divine work of sharing the gospel, being resilient in our devotion to Christ and in a continual posture of worship. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come. You come and rest in this place. You rest with those online. You rest with those listening. That they would have open hearts to hear. That, Holy Spirit, you would come and do a mighty work through this message. Let me just be an empty vessel, but that you would move in this place and among your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I am a visual learner, so I needed a map for this portion. I thought it would be helpful for all of us. So the gospel has been shared in Jerusalem, down in that bottom bottom right corner, and the areas of Samaria and Judea which surround Jerusalem to the north and the south. We left off last week where Peter had gone to Caesarea at the beginning of chapter 13, which is near Jerusalem and they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them off on their first missionary journey. Now, last night I was packing up my middle schooler for his first youth camp that he's leaving for this afternoon. We got 55 kids going to youth camp this afternoon. You would have thought I was packing him for a missionary journey, but (laughs) I digress. As Paul and Barnabas travel, they are in this rinse and repeat cycle. So they go to each town, and they start in the Jewish synagogues, sharing the gospel that is creating this new multi-ethnic family of God for both Jews and Gentiles. And many come to believe, but often the Jewish leaders get angry, and Paul and occasionally his buddies get either thrown out of the city or flogged. (laughs) And we fast forward to chapter 15, and the apostles or Jerusalem's council is set, where Gentile Christians do not have to hold to Jewish customs or Mosaic law. So they send out these letters sharing this decision, and they travel back to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas split ways. And then Paul chooses Silas at Antioch, and they go off on the second missionary journey, along with Luke, who is witnessing and writing the book of Acts, and Timothy. And then Sam comes running up the path, yelling, I'm going on an adventure! Just kidding, he's not in this story, but the other four are, okay? We pick up the story in chapter 16 where we witness two conversions, two miracles, and one wild ride, okay? So first, Paul on the Sabbath does his usual thing. He goes to the synagogue, and instead of speaking with the Jewish leaders, he begins talking to this group of women, which is odd for the time, but put a pin in that. And from this group of women, Lydia listened, It lists her profession, dealing purple cloth. It lists her providence, a homeowner. And it lists her religious status, a worshiper of God. And it says the Lord opened her heart to eagerly listen. She and her whole household were baptized. They didn't wait. They went and got baptized. And she basically forces the missionaries to stay in her home. Lydia's home becomes the birthplace of the Philippian church. The second account is of the missionaries being followed by a female slave that earned money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed them shouting what we hear as biblical truths, but the medium of the message would have brought confusion during that time. Was she saying they were slaves to Zeus or to the God of Israel? Whether you were Roman or Jewish, it would mean two different things. Since many people saw the evil spirit in her, was anything she's saying truth? Paul tried to ignore it for days, but eventually it says he became annoyed, and he turned and faced her and cast out the spirit in the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. This is a miraculous act. Now, her owners didn't care about the slave woman. They only deemed her worthy of what profits they could make from her. So since they lost income, they were out to get Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the officials and made up a completely separate narrative and used anti-Judaism to rile the Greek and Roman crowd. They say, these men, these Jews, they are bringing immoral customs to our patriotic empire. So the officials had them stripped of their clothes, and severely flogged. Then they're sent off to prison. The officials order the head jailer, who would have been a higher ranking slave, city slave at this time, to keep them secure. So the jailer puts them in the innermost cell, which is maximum security in the day, right? Which usually meant complete darkness. And then he put their feet in the stocks, which is another form of torture. So imagine, they're completely battered and bruised and bleeding and thrown into the dark, nasty prison, and in addition, they're tortured more. The normal human reaction to this kind of persecution is wallowing in self-pity, bemoaning their infliction that they're suffering in the name of Christ. Paul and Silas are still awake at midnight, which we can only believe is because They are in a tremendous amount of pain and unable to sleep. And what are they doing? Praying and singing hymns. What? Like, (laughs) what? Uh, Amid their deep pain, they're still witnessing to those around them. They're in the innermost cell. All the prisoners in the cells surrounding them can hear them. Suddenly, a violent earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison. The prison doesn't crumble, but somehow every door opens, and the chains fall off of every prisoner. Again, miraculous. Then the jailer, who believes all the prisoners have escaped and would be liable for the sentence of one prisoner lost on his watch, draws a sword to commit suicide, because that fate would be far less painful and facing the officials but paul shouts don't harm yourself for we are all here he could have said it's me hi i'm the problem it's me that's for all you swifties that can get seattle tickets this weekend <laughs> so the jailer calls for lights and he falls down trembling in fear in front of paul and silas Now, this section is interesting because we read it as a normal progression of events, but the jailer who moments ago wanted to kill himself for fear of facing the officials interacts with his prisoners, which he would have been severely judged and punished for. First, he brings them outside, where he asks about salvation. Then he had his household gather to listen to to them about Jesus, Then he goes and washes their wounds, which is a big no-no because they're prisoners and they're supposed to be suffering. Then he and his family were baptized and they bring the prisoners into their house and eat food with them. Another big (laughs) no-no. All sometime between midnight and dawn. Again, miraculously, the jailer won't be held accountable for these actions because the magistrates woke up and decided to let Paul and Silas go. There's no scriptural reference as to why, no mention of the earthquake, which may have been a sign of God. Maybe they figured, the magistrates figured, that flogging and a night in jail was enough. But Paul and Silas say, Nay, you wrongfully beat us in the street and humiliated us. And they now choose to invoke their Roman citizenship, which would have saved them from the flogging, but I digress again. And tells them now you, come and own up to what you did and walk us out of this prison. So the police report back to the magistrates, and they did it. They actually came and escorted them and requested the missionaries to leave the city. They went to Lydia's house to encourage the new believers in this church plant in Philippi, and then they take off. Now, there is a lot going on in these 19 scriptures. (laughs) I believe there are two significant points that we can take from this section of scripture. The first is this, that the Trinity works in miraculous ways. The Trinity works in miraculous ways. First, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. Lydia attended the Jewish synagogue, but she was a Gentile woman who sympathized with the Jewish faith and prayed to Israel's God. We know Lydia was humble, She was a God-fearer in some translations. She was gracious. She was willing to listen. And she was hospitable. She invited them into her home. And her story of conversion is the first one told after the Apostles' Council is set. That the Lord opened the heart of a single Gentile woman to be written as the first believer in Philippi. How many of us are praying for a friend or a family member to have their heart opened? God can do it. The second miracle is that the evil spirit was exercised in Jesus's name. Have you ever had someone yell at you on the street? Like tell you like don't park there or get off my lawn, right? So or maybe someone yelling because they're going through a mental health crisis. I chatted with a friend of mine, a young mom on Wednesday night at an event at our that was hosted here at our church. Uh, It was a community panel discussion on homelessness in the Newburgh-Dundee area, which Dan Bush in our church helped coordinate. As we sat in the room before the event began, she shared how God had been working in her heart on this concept from moving from fear to love that we've been talking about. And that last week when she was outside, a man going through a mental health crisis started yelling at her and her toddler She was scared, and all she could think of was, I hope this person turns the other direction. And later, she felt like she acted in fear instead of love. And while she needed to make a protective decision for her family in that moment, she made a point to show up to this event, to learn, to empathize, and to grow as someone who wants to extend love over fear. In this section of scripture, it says, the woman with the spirit of divination followed these men for many days. I know how I feel being yelled at once. I couldn't imagine being yelled at and followed for many days. And it says, Paul turned and looked at her. He saw her. And even through his annoyance, he asked Jesus to free her, not only of the oppression of the enemy but it also freed her from the oppression of her slave owners. This is a miracle. The third miracle is that God ordained the timing of the earthquake. In my research, earthquakes were very uncommon in this region in Philippi. And the fact that one happened on the night that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, that the scriptures tell us the foundations shook. Still, it didn't crumble. And that for all the prisoners, the doors were open and their chains fell off. This is a miracle. Next, the second point. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. If you have been a follower of Jesus for some time, this may seem obvious. But in this section of scripture, Paul is interacting with three people the devout Jews would have never reached. Lydia the fortune teller, and the jailer, were not of high status. Lydia is believed to be a widow or divorcee, and while she has some providence as a female, she would have not had many rights in this culture. The fortune teller is a slave oppressed and trafficked by her owners for what she could provide them. Her oppressors didn't care about her. Her only worth was the money that was thrown down when the demonic spirit worked through her. And the jailer, a city slave, while he earned some respect, we could call it good behavior, right, in our, in our current day, he was still just as oppressed and bound by the system as those he was overseeing. When we look at these three stories and how Paul and his coworkers intersected their lives and how they were radically changed, We can see that no one is too far gone or unworthy of hearing the good news. Okay, so what does this mean for us today? The first point is this pursue those ready to receive. We see two distinctions in the conversion stories in this section the stories of Lydia and the jailer. When the missionaries arrived in Philippi, they went to the synagogue and they spoke to the women we are unsure if it's because the women and the men were meeting at separate times or if the men just wouldn't listen at the time but we know that these women were willing to listen we know that the jailer had every reason to be afraid of the authorities over him with first the prisoners being released via earthquake and then stepping out in faith to hear and care for his prisoners, Paul and Silas. In both cases, they were ready to receive. The Lord worked in the heart of Lydia, and the jailer experienced a traumatic earthquake that made him fall and tremble at the feet of his captives. Have you ever told a friend or a family member some really pertinent information? For this section, let's just say it's something like getting eight hours of sleep or something like that. And then down the road, maybe a few weeks later, they return from a conference or they went to dinner with a friend and they said, I was just told this amazing piece of information. I'm supposed to get eight hours of sleep a night. (laughs) And you were like, I told you that six weeks ago. (laughs) Maybe they weren't ready to listen. (laughs) We do not know how many people the disciples of Jesus tried to reach in the many days they were in Philippi. But we know the stories of those who are ready to listen. Right? We are called to extend the gospel to everyone, but we also notice and take time and pour into those who are ready to listen. Number two, carry the gospel with integrity and authenticity. One of the issues with the fortune teller is that her message would have caused confusion. But Paul, even in his annoyance, frees the woman and brings truth and validity to even what the evil spirit was saying about them. I'm the kind of person who wears my heart on my sleeve. I don't know how to live any other way, and I'm going to be honest, I've been warned that it could come back to bite me in the end and i've just had to make peace with that but because i really believe that jesus gives us a gift of authenticity of being vulnerable of sharing what we've walked through i want to step into that in a world that tells us that we should have it all together and hold on to all of our own problems and no one should ever know our brokenness jesus invites us into a relationship where we can say This is hard for me to share, but I'm confessing it to Jesus and to another person. I'm asking for help or prayer to bring healing in my life and take my downfalls or failures and give someone else freedom. The third point is this, broken bodies still carry living words. Paul and Silas were beaten and tortured I kept thinking as I was writing this message, what is the most mangled I've seen a human being? That was the picture I set in my mind. And yet through the excruciating pain of sitting in maximum security darkness, they started praying and singing hymns to all those around them. The scriptures say they shared the gospel with the jailer and his household before their wounds were even clean. I don't know about you, but there are worship songs that have carried me through the darkness. One of them is the song Tremble which Pastor Ashley picked out as our closing song 8 weeks ago and I didn't know that till this last week. But one of my family members is lost to drug addiction at the moment. And I won't <laughs> And I won't get into details but I've witnessed how dark addiction can be for this person and for every person around them. And in times when there's nothing I can do, I can't convince them, I can't drag them out, I can't I can't make them make choices. And it feels absolutely hopeless because I can't change the situation. I sing those words to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble who bakes the darkness tremble. You are the one that silences fear. Guys, when I practiced, I didn't cry. I'm trying not to. <laughs> Whether you are walking through the darkness or you have walked out of the darkness, you can still lift a song of worship to the Lord. Don't count yourself out of carrying the good news of Jesus. You can easily say, I'm too broken and I'm too far gone, but broken bodies still carry living words. If you are a Jesus follower and you have laid your life at his feet, there is no separation between you and Christ. You are a child of God. You are chosen. You are made to carry living words. And with that, we come to communion. As I was preparing for this message, I just kept sensing the Holy Spirit prompting that we need to acknowledge that the darkness is real. The darkness of oppression, the darkness of the inner cells that are sometimes our choices and sometimes just circumstances that the world has put on us. Sometimes they are a short season and sometimes they are things that we have to bring before Jesus for a lifetime. But we have a savior who has overcome sin and death and the grave. Jesus, while he hung on the cross, another form of torture still witnessed to the men hanging on either side of him and audibly forgave the people persecuting him. Through the sacrifice of his body and blood, we can be healed and in right standing with God. We can reach others even if we have walked through brokenness. We can stand on his word knowing that we are deeply beloved children of God. So today we're going to take three minutes of silence to close together and ask Jesus to search us and know us, to reveal the dark places that still need healing or the dark places he's pulled you out of that need to be living words for someone else. You can hold your communion elements and take them whenever you're ready. Then the worship team will come up and we'll close with a song.